0: Okay, Brandy is not in the room. I think she's down with the kids. So if I get the details of the story wrong, um, it's okay. This is the story as I remember it. I want to tell you about something that happened. Brandy and I have three kids, and the time between the oldest and the youngest is a little less than four years, just under four years. And uh, so they're fairly close together, right? So there was a time when all of our kids were were small at the same time. And I remember once after our youngest, Ezra, was he was maybe four, five, six months old, kind of in that range. Uh, I remember it really vividly. It was a Saturday. I know that because I was at home in the morning. The other six days of the week, I would have been somewhere else. I remember it was sunny. Uh, I remember that because, like, when was the last time it was sunny? Uh, And Brandy and Ezra, baby, they were in our bedroom, and uh, Brandy was, like, tickling him, right? They were laying on the bed, and he was tickling him. And you could hear that sound, you know, the babies make when they're laughing, they're giggling. Everybody loves that sound. It's the most welcome sound in the world, the sound of a happy baby, And um, so they're in there, and of course, like, I hear the sound. I got to check it out. I got to see what's happening, right? Because, you know, I'm easily distracted because I am a man. And um, so I went in there and checked it out, and pretty soon, like, the other two come, they come trotting in. And then after a few minutes, like, we're all there in the baby's face, tickling him, poking at him, he's laughing out loud. And, and, uh, of course, as the father, like, I took it upon myself to, like, take the activity up a notch. And I started, you know, tackling the other two and pinning them down and tickling them. And they're just screaming at the top of their lungs, having a good time. I'm pretending to be some kind of an animal. And uh, there's all this noise, right? The kids are all freaking out. I'm freaking out. And I look over at Brandy, and she's crying. You know, like, you're, you have a cry face, like, a, uh, you know, ugly cry. Like, she's just, she's just going for it. She's all in. She's just bawling. She's just laying there, bawling. And, of course, since I'm a sensitive husband, I said to Brandy, what's wrong with you? And she said, she said, this is the new best day of my life. (laughs) And it was just one of those moments, you know, you you have those moments in your life where it doesn't really matter what else is happening. Like, everything is right with the world right now. Because where you're at right here in this moment, like, you're just alive. You know what I mean? It's It's just one of those epic situations. I'd imagine it was a little bit like what Pastor Rick felt like when he finally got to the summit of Mount Rainier. You just feel alive, like you just accomplished something. It doesn't matter what I'm going back to. I made it to the top, like those moments when you're just like, man, all is right with the world, like so epic, such a great moment in life. But here's what I do most of the time. In between those moments, I'm running through my life, right? I got to get to this. I got to do that. Uh, I'm running through life. But then periodically I have these moments where it's like life is just running through me and I just want to stay there and be in that. John Lennon had a famous quote. Um, You should know if you remember this that he didn't actually come up with it. He just popularized it. Uh, It was actually an author whose name I wrote down named Alan Saunders because you're all big Alan Saunders fans. Uh, John Lennon said, life is what happens to us while we're making other plans. I spend most of my time doing the things I got to do to get where I wanna go. And I'm not suggesting that you stop doing that. That's, that's a good thing, like planning for the future and moving toward the future, that's a good thing. You should definitely do that. But, unfortunately, I have these moments where I'm living like fully alive, kinda of intermittently. Most of the time, I'm just getting where I, I gotta go. I'd be interested in figuring out if there's a way to have those moments more often. I mean, if that can happen, I'd like to know how that is. There's this word in the New Testament, uh, a Greek word that describes these types of moments. You may, have, you may be familiar with this word because several national brands have used it in their marketing campaign. The word is zoe, Z-O-E, uh, properly pronounced zoe. It means, we translate it in English to mean life, but it's referring to a specific type of life. And I just, I want to talk with you for a few minutes about zoe life. Uh, the New Testament was written mostly in Greek, uh, if, you, if you didn't know that. Specifically, it was written in what's known as Koine Greek. So, in English, we have, like, proper English, formal English, but then we have, like, the language that we speak, where we say like a lot, like I just did. Uh, and, you know, we use casual words that aren't even actually words. Like, we say things, we say things for example, whole nother. Uh, nother is not a word. It's my favorite non-word word, word, but I bet we've all said the phrase whole nother. Uh, it's It's not proper English. It's casual English. Well, that's how the New Testament was written. It's written in this casual Greek, and zoe is one of the words in this koine Greek. So, what happens a lot of times is there's not always a good English word that just translates directly one word for one word. So, I looked up the definition, an English definition of this Greek word, Zoe, and it was actually multiple paragraphs long, so no wonder the translation is so clumsy. And I just diluted it down, Uh, I just kind of compressed it down, I should say, into a couple snippets of a few definitions. The first definition of Zoe was a life full of vitality. That sounds like something I'd be interested in. A second definition was of the absolute fullness of life, both essential and ethical, which belongs to God. The fullness of life, both externally and internally, both physically, emotionally, spiritually, fullness of life in every way. A third definition was life real and genuine, a life active and vigorous, devoted to God, and blessed. No wonder the translation is so difficult. But that sounds like a kind of life that I might want to have. I would like to have that is a life that's full, internally and externally. I'd like to have a life that's Full of vitality that's active and exciting, that's blessed, that's devoted to God. And Jesus paints this picture as we've been walking through this story of this parable of the lost son. Jesus paints this picture of a God who wants you to have a Zoe kind of life, a full kind of life, not just existence, life to the full. And this is why for me it's so important to help people know Jesus as opposed to just knowing about Jesus. Because the truth is when we know Jesus, when we have a relationship with him, he really will do new and better things in our lives, and he will do new and better things through our lives because he wants us to have Zoe, not just existence. So we're going to wrap up this five-week series, these, uh, these five, uh, five awakenings, finding your way back to God, these alarms that go off in our life and point to our need for God, and there really is a sequence if you've been observing. The first awakening was our awakening to longing, the longings we all have for love, uh, the affection of others. It's not an unhealthy thing. God is a relational being. He made you in the same way. We all have a desire, a longing for love, for friendship, companionship. We all have a longing for things like uh, meaning, for purpose, be able to make sense out of life. And that really was the first awakening. But unfortunately, what happens is sometimes we try to fill those longings Maybe you probably haven't done this, but I have tried to fill those longings in ways that aren't necessarily uh, super healthy the way God intended. Like sometimes we try to fill our longings with other people. Uh, We try to fill it up with um, other things, other achievements. And when we pursue these longings in ways that are unhealthy or outside of God's bounds, it really leads us directly into awakening number two, which was regret. Uh, the, The feeling that, man, if I had that to do over again... I definitely would do something different. And regret happens in a really simple way. We have God-given longings, and we tr- when we try to fill them apart from God, we end, up, we end up with regret. And a lot of times we get stuck in the cycle because you try to fill the longings, you end up regretful, and you're right back in a spot of longing. And sometimes people just take it around the horn year after year for their whole lifetime. Uh, you, can see, you can see a seek a relational pattern or a behavioral pattern or an addictive pattern. Those things happen to a lot of us. And so, we can get stuck in that cycle, but awakening number three really is the gateway out because that cycle reveals our need for help, for God's help. Finally, we, get to, we reach a place of exhaustion, uh, even if it's not a destructive pattern. Maybe you're a goal setter. This is one that a goal setter will definitely know because what happens when you set a goal and then you achieve the goal, what happens after that? Well, it's good for a minute, but then you've got to set another goal, right? You just keep going around the cycle. And this is what happens when we try to fill those longings. But Jesus gives us the opportunity to avoid the fundamental mistake of trying to fill the longings with something other than God. Jesus truly is our way back to God. And when we see him that way, we realize something that you've probably heard 10,000 times but it's more true than you realize. Awakening number four is that God loves you deeply. After all, in reality, God loves you deeply. That sounds like pastor speak. I know, you're thinking that's pastor speak, Uh, but but it's true. We see it in the life of Christ, that God does, in fact, love you deeply. It's not just a, a song, maybe, that you sang in kids' church, and it's not even because you're awesome, although I'm sure you're awesome. I think if you just gave it a good, you know, a flashback through your memory, you'd probably find a moment when you weren't that awesome. And, you know, you might have to go back a little farther than some of us to find one, but the truth is God loves you deeply even when you were really selfish or even in that moment when you were really judgmental or hypocritical. God loves you deeply even in that moment, and I think that reveals that it's actually because He's awesome, uh, which He is. And that knowledge that you're profoundly loved even in your wandering really is The gateway to awakening number five, which is the one we're going to wrap up with, and that is the awakening to life. Not just being alive, not just executing our plans, but experiencing a Zoe life, a full life. So we've gone through this parable, the lost son, and uh, and I just want to read it to you uh, one last time. We've been watching people read it up on the video screen, but uh, I'm just going to turn to Luke 15 verse 11, and I just want to read this parable to you. So I hope you'll kind of try to crawl into the scene. Jesus is talking. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property up between them. Now, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered all his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I'm thinking that was probably a pretty significant Zoe moment. If you crawl into the life of the father, this son who's been gone, who's been lost, he says this son of mine was dead and is alive, and all of a sudden here he comes over the horizon. I'm thinking that that father in that moment was experiencing a pretty full life. I'm thinking for the son who's walking in shame and he's rehearsing his speech that he's going to tell his father and hopefully he'll make me a servant, as he comes home and finds himself embraced, it's probably a pretty significant moment. As he's celebrated instead of being shamed, that's probably a Zoe moment for him. And we all get to experience as those, those moments of full life, but the rest of the time we're kind of going along doing our thing. And in this final week, I want to address this question because I think it'll be really, really helpful to us. I want to I make sure we take away from the series something really touchable, something we can use. And the question is, how do I awaken to this full life that God's intended for me? How do I tap into this new and better way of life that Jesus has for me? How do I tap into it on an ongoing basis instead of just in moments? How do I, how do I have that on a day-in and day-out basis? And so here's the, uh, the prayer for the fifth week. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. And awaken me to the fact that I really can have a brand new life. You you really can have a new life. So in order to get there in the next few minutes, I just want to drill down on that one verse in John chapter 10, verse 10, probably familiar to some of you. It's a pretty high mileage verse. Jesus is talking and he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. It's a high mileage verse because we like that one. Like, Jesus has come to give me something. Like, I'm on board with that. Let's talk about that. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus says in really clear terms, I want you to have a full life. Now, if you read the larger context, Jesus is actually talking to all Christians, all Christ followers, everyone who identifies himself, themselves with him. So if that description fits you, then guess what? Jesus is talking to you. He says, I've come so that you can have a full life, so that you can experience a life to the full. He wants you to have an incredible life. So uh, consider this with me. Now, if you consider yourself maybe, you know, a bookworm, kind of nerdy, you're going to love this. Uh, if you don't, hang on, I'll give you something a little more practical in a second. Uh, word studies. I don't do, like, a lot of these on Sunday mornings because I think sometimes they take away from the big idea. But in this case, it's actually really, really helpful. In the New Testament, there's two Greek words for life, that are translated life. The first one is bios. It's where we get our word biology, and it means probably exactly what you think it means, the elements of your natural life. And so, let's just uh, throw out a couple things that you will do in the course of your bios life. Uh, Some of these will maybe make you uh, disgusted with yourself or make you think, man, everyone else is really disgusting. Good thing I'm above average. Uh, Consider this. The average American will consume 35 tons of food in their lifetime. If you don't know, a ton is 2,000 pounds. So, you know, 70,000 uh, pounds. That's a bunch of food. So, uh, I might actually be above average in that particular category. I'm not sure it's one that I want to be above average on. The average human being will spend in the neighborhood of about 230,000 hours of their life sleeping, if you lived an average life expectancy. That's a lot of sleeping. Some of you, it will be way more than that. Uh, Anybody here like an overworker? Are you just like, anybody want to confess to the fact that my default position is to work too much? Okay. Uh, I know that there's a few of you. A couple of you were brave enough to raise your hands. Good job. Uh, Some of you should have. If you worked a full-time job, a -a 40-hour-a-week job from age 20 to 65, which is a fairly normal working life in our our society, uh, I'll just call a timeout and say, if you're a mom, uh, you work like 120 hours a week. Uh, for way longer than that. So, so this one doesn't apply to you. But if you worked a normal 40-hour-a-week job for 45 years, you would work about 90,000 hours. Uh, that's a lot of time. No wonder the man loves you so much. That's a lot of time. Uh, Americans, this is an American statistic, will spend about 39,000 hours of their life in their car, in your, in your whole lifetime totaling on average just short of 800,000 miles. I didn't check the math on this one. You can check it for me, but I believe that's about the distance from the Earth to the moon and back and back again, roughly. So, uh, so good job. You're driving a long ways. I'm sure you're all much better than average in this category, but if you were a, you know, an average, unspecial American and you spent the U.S. average of 2.8 hours, according to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics watching television every day. 2.8 hours is the average American. If you did that, you would spend right around 80,000 hours of your life watching TV. I mean, that's a life well lived, right? That's a lot of good stuff on that list right there. These are all things that we will do, uh, that a normal person, I mean, not us, that a normal person would do in the course of their bios life. But when Jesus says this phrase, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full— He actually doesn't use the word bios that's translated to life. It's the word zoe that's translated to mean life. In the book, Finding Your Way Back to God, Dave Ferguson makes this really good contrast between the two. Uh, It made sense to me. might not make sense for you. You're probably using a more powerful part of your brain than I do. But he said, if bios is the quantity of life, the things you can count about your life, zoe is the quality of life the intangible stuff. Uh, One is being alive, the other is feeling alive. Not just going through life, but having life flowing through you. I think most of us want that, and that's the difference between the two. So when Jesus says, I want you to have full life, it means he wants you to feel alive. He wants you to have a quality of life. And one of the things that I realize is so much different about the type of life that he's talking about than maybe the things that we often think will add quality to our life is that this life Jesus is talking about, it can redefine everything that's happened to you in your past, and it can drastically increase the value of what you're experiencing right now in your present, And it can also radically change the trajectory of your future, as many of you know, as many of you have experienced that a relationship with Christ has certainly changed the trajectory of your life. This is the kind of life Jesus is talking about. So we have this contrast between the two. Now consider the story, this parable of the, the, the father of the lost son. In the story, the younger son says, give me my inheritance so I can go use it, spend it, do the things I want to do. And it says in Luke 15, 13 that the father, so he, the father, Divided up his property between them. What's really interesting about uh, this particular verse is that the word property is actually the Greek word bios. He divided up his life, but it sort of gives you a bigger sense of what the word bios might mean. He divided up his wealth. He divided up the things that he had accumulated. He divided up the mechanisms of survival and gave them to the son. It's the same word that we translate to mean life. Now, think about the meaning of the story. In the story, the son acquires what is apparently a large amount of life, a large amount of bios. But where does it leave him? It leaves him actually in worse shape than he was in before he had all of the stuff that he wanted. And he learns this lesson that hopefully we can learn from him so we don't have to learn it on our own. The son learns that this bios life, the things that we chase, the things we can count in life— will always pale in comparison to the Zoe life that Jesus has for us. He finds out that the fleeting mechanisms of this bios life will never compare to the irrevocable blessing of life back with his father. And I think that's the big idea that Jesus is driving at. Not that the the stuff we can count is bad, because remember, the father had all that stuff. God had blessed him with all of it. But Jesus is just making the point that the mechanisms of life We're going to have to stay in the cycle. We're going to have to keep chasing those things. They'll never compare to the irrevocable blessing of the Zoe life with the Father. So I just want to spend the last couple minutes of today and of the series um, just talking about a couple of practical ways, that uh, practical but biblical ways, that we can experience this this Zoe life on an ongoing basis, Uh, that we can really experience this full life. I'd love to have an answer to the question, what can I do, because I'm a doer, to experience this, to live like this? Um, I think there's some really simple rhythms. I'll call them core experiences of people who have this Zoe life. Uh, In Luke 15, which is where the parable is, Jesus actually tells tells three parables. Uh, I'll just rattle them off really quickly. The first one is about a man who has 100 sheep, and he loses one. So he's left with 99. If you've read the story, you know he searches far and wide. He searches everywhere. And when he finally finds the sheep, Luke 15, 5 says, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep. Then Jesus immediately tells another parable about a woman who's lost a coin. And if you've read the story, you know she does like ultimate spring cleaning. She tears her house apart and she finally finds this coin. And Luke 15, 23 says, When she finds it, she says, Let's have a feast. Sorry, wrong verse. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I've found my lost coin. She says the same thing. And then Jesus immediately tells a third parable, which is our parable the parable of the lost son. The son acts foolishly, he's gone, he leaves his father's house. And then when he returns, the father runs to him and embraces him and reinstates him. And the father calls out in Luke 15, 23, let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Now what's the common thread? They all lost something, and then they all celebrated what God had done. Jesus is painting this, this picture of what like life in the kingdom is like, And they all celebrate. And I think one of the most important things we can do to experience Zoe life is to learn to celebrate. Uh, Not just occasions, but to learn to celebrate what God has done on an ongoing basis. For example, when we come to church on Sunday, uh, we probably each came for a different reason. Some of us came to a church service. Some of us came because our mom has been like, you need to get in church, right? You've heard that before. Some of us came because... We got in trouble when we didn't go as a kid, and so now we feel guilty, and or it's part of our routine. Well, we came for all different kinds of reasons, but one of the most important reasons we could come is to celebrate. For me, this is a chance to celebrate what God has done. Uh, this might surprise you, but I don't go through the grocery store singing out loud about Jesus. I mean, I've thought about it at times. I've seen people do it, and I don't want to be like them. I uh, love Jesus. I'd be glad to talk to someone about Jesus, but I'm not going to sing out loud. I celebrate that here. I celebrate that way here. I love being here because I get to tell the people I love about God, about how awesome I think he is. I get to celebrate all that God has done, all that he is doing, and I also get to celebrate the things that I anticipate by faith God will do. To live the Zoe life, man, learn how, learn how to celebrate. Don't miss a chance to celebrate at the Father's house. Be be a part of that party. And I don't mean like church attendance, because you're here, right? You're the wrong crowd for me to talk to about that. What I do mean is don't miss a chance to celebrate what God's done. Learn to celebrate more. Pastor Rick mentioned that we have some what I'll call kind of low-key social events happening around our service throughout the summer. Uh, Those are important uh, because those are ways we can celebrate, but they also sort of open the door to the uh, what I'll call kind of the essential or core experience number two, which is learning to connect with other people. Now, this one, uh, man, millennials really need to dig into this one. Hopefully, this one won't apply to the rest of you. Uh, There's a guy named Edward Hollowell. He's a a psychiatrist, and he did some research with Harvard Medical School, so you know it must be really good. Uh, In his study, he found that the two most powerful and meaningful experiences we have in life are achieving and connecting. Okay, so you ever achieve something and thought, yeah, I did a good job. That felt pretty good. Uh, or have you ever connected with another person and had a meaningful relationship? I mean, those are both things that we all would like to have in our lives. And what he found is that as a society, we're increasingly obsessed with achieving and we're increasingly inept at connecting. In and of itself, not a big deal, not a problem. But then they took the, step in, the study into a step further, and they found that people who did really well at achieving – And didn't do so well at connecting, actually reported a pretty low quality of life. They were generally unhappy people. But the other side of the coin was people who did well at connecting and didn't really do so good at achieving reported a really high quality of life. They were actually generally happy people because they learned how to connect. Now, you probably could have guessed that on your own. That's probably not a surprise. But I tell you about the study because it reminds us that if we want to experience a full life, It's essential to connect with others. There's literally hundreds of verses in the Bible that talk about one anothering, um, loving one another, encouraging one another, being in community with one another, and they're all really great except for the fact that you can't do any of them on your own. It's impossible to one another by yourself. Uh, In order to follow Jesus and live the life that he has for us, we have to do it in the context of community. There's, not a, there's no lone rangers in God's kingdom. The third, that, the third core experience is to contribute. Now, I know somebody's like, oh, money talk. You just like totally perked up. You weren't even paying attention, but then you heard contribute, and you're like, oh, uh, not a money talk. What I mean by contribute is on God's team, everybody gets to be in the game. Everybody gets to be a part of the play. Everybody gets to be a part of what's, what's happening. Life on the sidelines will never be as fulfilling as life in the game. So, just reflecting on the story, uh, I'd ask you this question about the son. It's conjecture, but if you just you think about it, what do you think the son's life was like after this experience where he comes home? Uh, you know, he's, he's totally disrespected his father, and he's gone out and wasted all his father's money, or at least his share of it, and then he experienced this period of terrible need where he had nothing. And then he comes home after all this ridiculousness, and the father just welcomes him back and reinstates him. So, do you think there was ever, after experiencing this kind of hardship, do you think there was ever a point in his life when he would look at someone without need and lack compassion? My, my guess is he probably had a lot more compassion than he ever did before. Or do you think there was ever a time when he took his father for granted after this? I doubt it. His life looked a lot different. The things in his life had new significance. If I'm in his position, whatever the father needs, I'm on it. I'm there. I'm there. And the father and the son in the story, of course, are really symbolic of God and the sinner, me. And just like the father invited the son to come join his family, that's what God has done for us. He's invited us to come be a part of his family in spite of our foolishness. Through Jesus, God has brought us into his shared mission. And his shared mission is this, to risk loving the world in the same way that he's loved us. It's not a complicated mission risk loving the world in the way that he's loved us. To help others find their way back to God too. Is it risky? Yeah. Is it does it take effort? Yes it does. Can it be intimidating? Yeah. All of those things are true. But people who live the Zoe life uh, don't use that as a reason to stop them. They share in the mission. And I was just scrolling through my mind this week, thinking of people I've known who have been very uh, very purpose-filled, joy-filled people. And I realized they all did these three things. They all celebrated God well. They all connected with others well. They all got in the game, contributed to the cause of Christ. And then as you read through the New Testament, you realize all of the prominent figures in the Bible, they, they did these three things as well. They celebrated. They had relationships with others. Uh, they had a purpose. They had a mission. And I'm not saying you have to do any of those things to go to heaven, to be a Christian. But what I am saying is, if you want to experience that full life that Jesus talks about on a day in and day in, day out basis, make a commitment to celebrate and to connect with others, to be engaged in the mission that God's put before you. I am completely confident that if we do these things well, we will see Jesus do new and better things in us and through us. We'll experience that full life I want to just pray as we round out the series that, uh, that God will really give us the, uh, the encouragement, the power, uh, the joy to be able to do these things by His Spirit, uh, to really learn how to live life to the full. So God, I pray that, uh, that you would just make yourself real to each one of us, Lord. God, that you would awaken us to the fact that we really can have a new life in and through you. Um, that that's, that's not just a Bible story, that's not just something that we hear, that, that it's a real thing, God, that you really do have a full life for us. So God, I pray you'd, um, you'd teach us how to celebrate, you'd maybe give us permission to celebrate, some of us need that. God, I pray you'd give us a deep love for others, pray you'd give us joy in being together. God, I pray you'd give us passion for your name, pray you give us love for those who are far from you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Rick.